Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I pulled him aside at the end of the day one day and I told him and I was pulling him off at this large account, but I was giving him another big one instead. And he lost his, you know what? I mean, he ripped the paper that I had given him, threw it at my face. I got up to kind of retreat. He pinned me against a wall. His his hands were under my throat. He told me he wanted to rip my effing face off. I was like shocked. I was not expecting it. Um, I was able to talk him off the ledge, you know, so to speak. And he left the office. No one was there. I went home. I talked to my husband about it. And the next day I reported it to my manager. Welcome to everyone's talking money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Hey friends, before we jump into the episode, I've got some exciting news. We just launched the new Everyone's Talking Money website and have lots of goodies for you. You can check out all the show notes for the recent episodes, as well as a full transcript for each episode. 
You can also grab two freebies, our top 25 episode guide, as well as our bonus free episode, five minutes to unlock a new money mindset. And you can get on our super special email list to get notices of upcoming workshops, courses and events, special deals, and all the insider money tips and tricks. Just head to everyonestalkinmoney.com. That's everyone's, T-A-L-K-I-N, money.com. Is the paycheck worth the pain? That's the question we're diving into. Okay, friends, I have got a powerful money story to share with you from our guest, Jamie Fiore Higgins. She is the author of a new book called Bully Market, My Story of Money and Misogyny at Goldman Sachs. And this is going to rock your world. You know, as I was talking with Jamie, it really reminded me of a time in my own career, the only corporate job I've ever had, where I worked with a guy who, let's just say, was not a good boss. (laughs) He would do things like watch porn in his office while we three female employees were outside his door. He also made me make travel arrangements for his girlfriend behind his wife's back and so many other terrible, terrible things. I truly lost a part of my soul for that paycheck, and I told myself I would never do that again. But my story isn't unique. Maybe you have a story like mine where you struggled with the question, is the paycheck worth the pain? As our guest Jamie says, money is a sticky thing. We all need it, but we don't think about the sacrifices we make to earn it. In this episode, you'll hear the twists and turns of Jamie's story, her advice to you if you're in a similar situation, and the steps you can take to take back your power and see beyond the paycheck. This story is as juicy and as important as it comes. Let's start talking. We are here to talk about your new book, Bully Market, my story of money and misogyny at Goldman Sachs. Very interesting. (laughs) And this idea of paycheck, is the paycheck worth the pain? Right, which I think so many of us struggle with that question. I know I have over many, many years. And, you know, before we dive into all the juicy details of your story, I want to just throw this out to you as, as an opener. Is the paycheck worth the pain? Uh, you know, it's, it's so hard to look back. Hindsight's always 2020. I think that part of my problem was that my mindset was such that I didn't think I can earn I could earn any money except for that paycheck. So now that my Goldman Sachs experience is in the rearview mirror, I think that people have opportunities to earn good paychecks without the pain. So I would say in my book, which is a bit of a cautionary tale, it's definitely not worth it. We're going to really dive into this and kind of dissect this idea, but I think it's really interesting what you're saying that that you didn't think maybe you were worthy of of you know making any other money than than this paycheck, and I think that's probably something that so many of us can relate to because money is this very tricky subject, right? And and we all grow up with this idea of of wanting to make money and you know, wanting to take care of our families and build wealth, uh, you know, we, we just, we have that need, right? But I think that it's really easy to get attached to needing to to make a lot of money to really prove something to ourselves and, and to everyone else, you know, so, you know, kind of throwing this out to you, 
how do we how do we balance that? Like how do we balance the need to make money and 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 get ahead but but always make sure that we're really kind of keeping in check this idea of is the paycheck worth the pain? I think it really starts from feeling like you have a position of autonomy in your careers. So for me, you know, I was never the CEO of my own career and that's what I really help my clients now in coaching. So the answer is you get to decide what your career looks like in terms of the money you make, the sacrifices you make. And listen, if some people feel like, you know what, I'm willing to make the personal sacrifices in order to make this money for a certain amount of time, that's okay. But the view has to be that it's their choice. And for me, that organization was so good in my experience of manipulating its employees to really think that they were stuck, that they were a prisoner. And so I really want people to feel empowered to say, yes, and yes, you could be compensated well and be able to look at yourself in the mirror. And if you're finding yourself in a position where you don't feel that way, that yes, you have the ability to walk away. Mm. Why do you think so many of us don't feel like we have that ability? Well, listen, you said it best. Money, it's such a sticky, sticky thing because we all need it. Few of us really spend a lot of time thinking about it, meaning they think about kind of what they want and the checklist, but not exactly the sacrifices we make to earn it. Um, I mean, for me, I started working because I really wanted to support my family and make them happy. And I think it's very easy, especially with large organizations, to get addicted to the status, to get addicted to the money, not even for what money can buy, because the irony for me was I never really spent the money on things people spent it on, but that money represented success. I also think you would get that in careers that maybe don't pay well, but um, have prestige like say working for the government or something and having a a good job there. I think the problem is, is when you lose your identity and you think that's your only role in this world is the role that you do as a job. And that's when you get a slippery slope. Ooh, I like that. Yes. I, I myself, Jamie have struggled with that over the years and that's a, that's a tough one to, I don't know, to just kind of like get your your head around. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. I want to go back to to talking about your family in just a few minutes, but you were one of the few women at the highest ranks at Goldman Sachs. You had earned, I believe, at one point around seven figures, which, you know, to a lot of us, that's a lot of money. So I think it's interesting that you're saying that you you didn't actually get to, you know, spend your money on things that you maybe wanted to. But You were even recruited out of college by a woman from Goldman Sachs, but you had to deal with, I mean, a ton of systemic misogyny and sexism throughout your 18 years there. You said that you witnessed spreadsheets ranking female recruits based on their bodies, objects of lust. You were assaulted by male colleagues. You had to operate under these like heaps of stress. I mean, these are cringe-worthy behaviors. 
And you and I both know they still continue in the workplace to this day, almost as if the Me Too, Me Too movement just never happened, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It so frustrates me. I mean, that's not even a good word, but it, it so frustrates me as a woman that we, you know, w- that we have to deal with these kind of workplace abuses. And it's hard still for women, many women to even report if if things like this are going on. You know, I mean, what was it like on just a day-to-day basis to to work in like such a toxic workplace? Those first days at Goldman really showed me the systemic problems in the organization. So I got this job out of college. My parents were so proud of me. They grew up in poverty, had really worked themselves up, were kind of that living American dream. And they really wanted all of their children to do better. Every generation has to do better. So when their daughter got this job that everyone wanted, super competitive, they say getting an analyst job at Goldman is harder than getting into Harvard. They were so proud of me. I was like the golden child of that generation of my family. So I walked in determined just to make the most of it. And it was a very punitive environment. On my first day, they would lock the doors um, if you were a second late and you weren't allowed in unless you got a signed permission slip. So very early on, it's like, wow, they really keep these people in line. The first day at work, I was told Goldman Sachs is home to the most paranoid and insecure people in the world, because that's what it took to put up with the environment. But I really spurred on by the obligation I felt toward my family. I said, I'm going to do it. And you know, we think about the way we behave as adults. So much of it stems from what we learned as children. And for me, I battled a lot of health issues as a kid. And so for me, it was always about proving people wrong, proving people that I could do it, uh, breaking out of the boxes of limitations that people put me in. And so even though I felt like I was so behind when I started, I came in without connections. A lot of my peers were almost fluid, uh, fluent rather, in the language of affluence. And I wasn't at all. I was determined to succeed. And at Goldman, the environment, I like to call it the white noise, like the white noise of Wall Street, like that negativity of, yes, women were ranked on their chest size and their leg length and their butt shape. I really tried my hardest to kind of push it away and not pay attention because I wanted to make my family proud. And for my parents, it was you get in good with a company, you are loyal to them, you have a really great career. Things didn't get more targeted for me until I became more senior when my peers saw me more of a threat. And that's when that kind of misogyny and gender discrimination really went up a notch. But the problem was that I was making so much money by then. It was like, I felt like they had me and I was stuck. And kind of going back to the larger discussion about getting in these difficult situations at work, it's really battling the stuck mindset. I really was never stuck, but that environment made me believe I was. So did you put more pressure on yourself to really rise through these ranks or or did your, you know, Italian family do they really want you to just live out this American dream, you know, as it were? They really didn't know much about Wall Street. 
all we really knew when I got the job was it was a job that everyone wanted. So I should feel really grateful about it. It was a combination of making them happy. And it was a combination of proving all the naysayers wrong. When I first started at the firm and I was reading these very basic books on Wall Street and investing, you know, a lot of the guys there would make fun of me, say, oh, you're just reading this now. You'll never catch up. (laughs) And that just made me so empowered just to prove just to prove them wrong. So I always just wanted to kind of show them that I belong there. Um, even though it put me in situations that weren't terribly fulfilling or um, did it make me feel very good about myself, but that determination just spurred me on. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it just, it, it makes something very fiery in me uh, come to life. I just, um, you know, I can't, I can't imagine being in a workplace like that. I know that this exists. I really want to also hear the story of you being abused by a coworker. Yeah. And that coworker got off because your boss golfed with this a-hole. I mean, yeah. this I, is, this is crazy. Tell us about this. It's, I mean, it's incredulous, but it's true. So I'm, you know, working really hard. I get recognized. I get my first job as manager. I'm totally excited because I'm like, oh, I've arrived. Like all these years of working hard, all these years of like just rolling my eyes and ignoring the bro culture is paying off. So I had this guy who was assigned to work for me and he was having an affair with one of our clients, which is inappropriate. And I really didn't want to get involved in it. But the problem is his wife started calling me and it made for an incredibly awkward discussion, Um, incredibly awkward situation because she would call me and want me to help advocate for her. And it was very awkward, but I felt badly for the poor woman. I mean, she was devastated. It was just a really difficult position to be in. And after a while, it was just not productive and it was not helping the work environment. So I mentioned it to my boss and he said, well, we're not going to get rid of him. I know what he's doing is inappropriate. Why don't you just get him off the account? And so I didn't want to signal him out. So instead of just reassigning that one account, I decided to mix everyone's accounts because I you know, didn't want to make it a thing. And mm-hmm. I pulled him aside at the end of the day one day and I told him and I was pulling him off at this large account, but I was giving him another big one instead. And he lost his, you know what? I mean, he ripped the paper that I had given him, threw it at my face. I got up to kind of retreat. He pinned me against a wall. His his hands were under my throat. He told me he wanted to rip my effing face off. I was like shocked. I was not expecting it. Um, I was able to talk him off the ledge, you know, so to speak. And he left the office. No one was there. I went home. I talked to my husband about it. And the next day I reported it to my manager. And he said, listen, you can go to HR with this. I'm not going to stop you, but we are not getting rid of him. And I know why they weren't getting rid of him. It was because he was a scratch golfer and had connections to all the golf courses across the country, Augusta, Pebble Beach, um, you know, Baltistraw, all the premier ones, also ones in Europe. And that was worth a lot to my partner and our clients. And so he said, you can report it, but I'm not getting rid of him. So imagine how difficult it would be to manage him after you rat him out to human resources. 
And here I was, I had just gotten recognized as a manager. This is what I thought was my first step to really making it at Goldman because people can have very successful career at Goldman, but really like once you're a managing director, that's like you've arrived. And being a manager, just a regular manager of people is your first step to getting that title. And so I said to myself, well, if I say something, this guy is going to make my life miserable and it's only going to hurt me in my career. So I didn't say anything. And the guy is still around to this day. Of course, right? Yeah, of course. (laughs) Like, what were you feeling? I mean, how do you manage this? I mean, you, I would imagine you were, you were stressed out, probably pissed off. I mean, lots of emotions. Like, how do you go home at night and kind of work through this to, to, to come back the next day? Yeah, I'm not proud of what I did as that kind of stuff escalated and I was married and I had kids. I really had to anesthetize myself to the environment. I'm not proud of it, but I started taking Xanax like they were Tic Tacs. I started drinking a lot. Um, I really engaged in bad behavior and some behavior almost cost me my marriage. So what I found myself in was this really toxic environment that I knew on some level wasn't good for me. But Goldman Sachs, and I know they're not the only one, large, powerful organizations are very good at making you feel like you're nothing without them. I mean, the big mantra at Goldman is you can only leave Goldman once. This is your chance of a lifetime. (laughs) Even like one year after we got these like huge bonuses, because we're supposedly so valued, my partner handed us bananas the next day, like legitimate bananas out of a basket and told us we were nothing but monkeys in his book and he could replace us at any second. So the mantra was every day you have to do better than the day before. There's a line out the door of people who want your seat. You're taking up prime real estate at this company. So here I'm working, feeling that there's no room for error, right? I have this job that, you know, everybody wants. I'm so lucky that I got it. And they also constantly over and over, over the years, it's almost like a cult where you're like indoctrinated to these beliefs that you're nothing without the firm. You're nothing without their name. You're nothing without their money. So I felt so stuck. And then what I found myself doing is using other things to cope because I really just needed an escape, you know, and then things only got escalated. The more senior I got, the more targeted the misogyny and discrimination became, the more pressure I felt at home because then I had children to support for, you know, support. Um, And it just became really untenable. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash ETM. Here's what I love. 
Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited, and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince, and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices 
and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. Everyone knows that putting money aside and savings is really important. But then what? Should you keep your savings locked in a CD for a higher rate or keep them liquid in a money market? Can your checking account help you save too? Or is it about creating the right combination? We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about the savings options that are right for you. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com. Member FDIC. You know, I'm also thinking, Jamie, so many women listening here, they really have to make difficult choices in the workplace. Like, do I have a family? Do I have a career? I mean, that's, you know, a a common um, question that so many women ask. And many times we can't do both. You call it uh, in your book, bonuses versus breast milk. Yeah. Tell us the story when you were trying to like pump for breast milk at one of the pump stations you said in the bathrooms. And uh, you know, the d- degrading abuse, you know, you ignored by by a woman, you know, trying to to have enough milk for for your baby. And, you know, there was there was toxic and abuse just around you trying to pump to feed your kid. Yeah. And, and you know, it really started when I had my first children, I had a set of twins and I wanted to pump and I signed up for the lactation room because Goldman has this lactation room. And my boss called me a couple, you know, a couple of days before I returned to work and said, Oh, I hear you're signing up for the lactation room. I said, Yeah. He said, Well, you know, you're gonna have to make up that time. And if you're off the desk, you know, an hour a day pumping, you're gonna have to stay late. And, you know, what time are you gonna get home? Or are you gonna even see your kids awake at night? <laughs> And, you know, at the time, I, I always had a long commute. It was some nights, two hours to get home. On a good night, I get home at eight o'clock. And so I had to do the math and say, okay, well, what would I rather them have? I'd rather me see them than pump. So I didn't pump. And then with my last child, because I knew I was leaving at that point, I had made my plan to leave. I said, I don't care. I'm pumping. And when I left the desk, the guys mood at me. They would taunt me. They would leave cups of milk at my desk. They would leave stuffed cows that they said were gifts for my youngest baby. So it was just that kind of constant torment. Mm. Um, so yeah, women do have to make bad des- decisions. And, you know, I was never frivolous with my money at Goldman. I never, you know, we can you know, my childhood, I was not raised with like materialistic, you know, that wasn't encouraged. Money was for education, shelter, food, you know, and um, I was never frivolous with my big Goldman bonuses, but I was really frivolous with my time. And I gave up all those years that I'm never going to have back. So it's interesting, the choices women feel they have to make 
in order to, to succeed. And I really want the next generation of women to have more autonomy than I did and really design work situations that enable them to participate more fully in every aspect of their life. Do you think this type of toxic workplace and really, I mean, amazingly misogynist behavior, did it have any, anything to do with Goldman Sachs, like being this well-known financial institution, like the the status of the company? Well, I do think the status is another thing that people get addicted to, right? And right. I think that status is what they use, in my experience, to kind of dangle that carrot like that carrot in front of you. I think Wall Street, this kind of behavior is rampant. I think a lot of it has to do with the compensation structure, not even so much the absolute number, because obviously people make a lot of money, but the structure that you get the majority of your compensation one time a year. So you're always just kind of on that treadmill waiting, waiting, waiting. If people made that big money and it was divided into 24 ways, I don't think they'd have quite as much hold over you because you feel like you're being watched all year and being judged all year for that one payday. Wait, wait, tell me about that. Wait, so you only got paid once or was that that was the big bonus? Well, the big bonus and that big bonus could be 80% of your total compensation. Mm, wow. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. So don't get me wrong. Base salaries are are nice, but they're not that much. You know, when you hear people making, you know, seven figures, you know, 80%, 75% of their total compensation comes one time a year. And then a lot of it is structured that it you don't get it right away. So some might be securities and you have to wait one year, two year, three years. So you're always waiting for those next couple months to come so you get that next payday. And so I think that structure really gives a lot more power to the employers versus the employees. And that's when I think it sets up a situation where you can kind of feel like you're stuck and not have any options. Wow. I mean, yeah, I mean, and... and. I mean, there's so many different feelings I'm having yeah. as as we're, as we're talking, and and just a lot of it is just anger and frustration, and and imagining being in that situation where you're just having to put up with things on a day to day basis because you're waiting for that big paycheck. I mean, that's the reason you're working there, and gosh, just like the emotional toll that must take, and. You know, I'm I'm also wondering, like, if we're listening, we're hearing your story, and we're in a workplace like this, and maybe we're asking ourselves, is the paycheck worth the pain? How do we advocate for ourselves in a toxic workplace where maybe we feel like the cards are stacked against us and we don't want to lose ourselves, but, you know, we don't know what to do. Like, we don't know whether to take the money or to to leave or, you know, what to do. Like, what, what sort of advice would you give us? I think employees need to take their power back. And I don't mean that means like the next day you quit or you demand X, Y, Z from your boss. I mean, sitting back and making a plan. And I think that involves an analysis of what you want and what you really need. And also involving other people. So I always talk to women when they reach out to me. I'm like, you are the CEO of your own career. You might work for Goldman Sachs or Deutsche Bank or JP Morgan or whomever. 
but this is at will employment. You are choosing to walk in every day. So let's just start with that mindset. You are not stuck. You can leave anytime and make a plan. And the plan can be a budget. A plan could be an analysis of what other options are in the industry. Um, A plan could be looking at opportunities laterally. A plan could be advocating for yourself more in the office. And then I think the other part of the plan that's so important, and I know other social scientists have talked about this, but have your board of directors. Like I have a board of directors for my company, right? And I say board of directors, but they are trusted advisors that are able to help me look at my situations and help advise me. And I just think just shifting the mindset of I have the power is transformative. When I really realized, you know what, I can leave. I'm going to make a plan when I feel comfortable doing so. My whole mindset toward work changed. I started advocating more for people. I mean, for me, I ended up leaving. But just the fact that I had the courage to leave was a really big deal. I recently spoke at this book festival and I spoke, was speaking to a couple hundred people and a woman came up to me and I say this very delicately because, you know, um, I am not someone who has experienced domestic abuse, but she said to me, I know why you stayed 18 years. They were like an abusive partner, you know, and it really made me realize how much of what I tolerated And what I perpetuated and the bad choices I made really were because I was in a mindset where I thought I was stuck. And so I would encourage people who feel stuck to really take a step back, make a plan and do the analysis. And just having that power makes a big difference. It's just a shift that I think really changes perspective for the better. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Karina Bemisterfer, host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast. Yes, you heard me right. Daily true crime. Every day, Morning Cup of Murder tells you a straightforward, short form story about murder, true crime, cold cases, disappearances, serial killers, cults, and more. And I do that all in under 15 minutes. With over three years of stories and over 20 million downloads, the Morning Cup of Murder podcast has become a staple of so many people's daily routines. So why not add it to yours? Stream Morning Cup of Murder everywhere you listen to podcasts. And remember, stay safe. 
Want to know the number one money question I'm asked? It's how to get started investing without being overwhelmed. So if you're asking yourself the same question, then you have to check out the Investing for Beginners podcast. The hosts, Dave and Andrew, they break down investment terms and strategies in a way you can finally understand. I love that they're making investing accessible and they have an entire podcast dedicated to helping you invest better. Even if you're not ready to start investing, they explain the stock market and financial updates so you can really understand what is being said on the news. If you're ready to learn more about investing, I'd recommend you start with two of my favorite episodes. Listener Q&A, how do you start investing with a thousand bucks? Where they explain how you get started right away. And back to basics of building your portfolio, where they explain how to build a portfolio from scratch. The Investing for Beginners podcast is a great way to start expanding your relationship with money. Find Investing for Beginners podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you think we also really hinder people? I'm thinking particularly here in the US where there's so much pressure on making money and getting ahead. You you talked about really figuring out like what you want and what you want in your life. And I feel like there's so much pressure on all of us to make a lot of money or to hit that million million dollar mark or whatever it might be that we do lose ourselves. I mean, I don't know. What, what do you think about this? A hundred percent. And I think so much of our society is so focused on the commercial aspect. I mean, that term keeping up with the Joneses is decades old, but it's still happening today. Now it's happening with keeping up with the TikTokers or the Instagrammers. <laughs> um, I had a book club talk with a bunch of young women in their 20s in Austin. And they said to me, you know, Jamie, in my book, I talk about the spreadsheet of freedom, which was my plan to kind of extricate yeah, myself that. from that environment. And they're like, how can we have a spreadsheet of freedom? We were even just talking about silly stuff like buying, with all due respect to Starbucks, I love my caramel macchiatos, but you know, you have little innocuous habits like that. They add up, you know? really deciding what you really need. Why do you need these things? Is it because they bring you joy or is it because you feel like you have to keep up with someone else? And a lot of my plan was like, well, what is this money about anyway? You could always make more money, but you can't make more time. And I think we need to be really thoughtful about how we spend our money. And then I think that shifts our opinions about how we make our money and what we sacrifice to make that money. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad that you brought up time because I think we don't tend to think about time in terms of having value. But I mean, the reality is we're all very limited here, right, on this earth. Right. So it it is it is not it is not a renewable resource. Not at all. Not at if, all. Money you could always you make more money. If you find a way to renew it, let me know. Right, you could always <laughs> make more money. Always. There's always opportunities to make money. You cannot turn back the clock. And you don't know when your time is up either. You know, you also share that misogynists aren't just men. And I think this is an important point to make too, that toxic work cultures, they, they encourage us women to be very misogynistic towards each other and really turn our backs on each other. I mean, this idea also just really pisses me off because I know it's so true. So, I mean, how do we change this? Again, I think it's about mindset. 
the reason why I didn't help women and women didn't help me, I I forgive myself for not helping women as I forgive the women who didn't help me because it was part of the structure of the environment. They set up a scarcity mindset there where they made you feel that there were so few roles for women that if I was going to succeed, then another woman had to fail. It was a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. All the men had abundant opportunities. They were all winning together but it was that mindset of the women. So I think it comes from, I, I think in order to, to, to fight against that, you have to align yourself with organizations where there's an abundance mindset, where there's just opportunity for good people. It doesn't matter. And then, you know, if you're in an organization where you see that, well, then it's like, you need to kind of be the change you want to see. Right. Like you have power. I think that's what I'm really hearing from you is you were in this situation where you didn't feel like you had a lot of power, but what you're trying to echo to everyone listening is you do have power. You do have power. I felt like I was a prisoner at that firm. The door was never locked. I could have left whenever I wanted to. I let myself believe that I was only successful there because of their name when in truth was I was successful because of my value. So I want everyone to, when they approach their workplace and approach their workplace success, do it from a perspective that it's mostly about them. And therefore that's transferable. If you were Mm, successful in one place, you're going to be successful somewhere else. So don't be afraid to walk away or don't be afraid to challenge where you are and advocate for yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's so powerful. And you're right, it is this big mindset shift, but it's something that we all can do. Um, I'm also wondering, are you getting any brushback or threats or anything from, from Goldman from, you know, writing a book where you're really exposing all of this? I have... No, I have not. There has been a statement that they have issued again and again. And I feel like I wrote this book in a really responsible and respectful manner. It's not about dragging people's names through the mud. It's not about shaming anybody. Even the people who did bad things to me, I did bad things. So if I, if I have, if others have forgiven me for the stuff I've done, I have to show people that grace. The point of the book is to shine a light on the power that these large organizations wield and how we as employees give up our power and what that can do to someone when they do it. I mean, for me, I gave up who I was in the name of what I did. The person who walked into Goldman's doors at 22 was vastly different from the person who walked out. I hardly even recognize myself. And I want to empower people to feel like they can choose the careers for themselves, where they feel aligned with organizations, that they can be successful, they can make money, and they can still be proud of who they are and retain who they really are. Gosh, it's so powerful. Uh, And just kind of wrapping up here, I want to circle back. I know we're we're kind of beating this this point, but I think it's really important for everyone listening to just walk away 
feeling like they have this power. I know the idea of making seven figures is super attractive. Money does give you more options in life, but it certainly isn't everything as you've shared. And sometimes more money comes with more pain. I I would love for you to leave us with something to think about. Maybe as we go into the next chapter of our careers, you know, how do we find this line between what is good for our bank accounts and what is really good for us as humans? Mm. I always felt at Goldman, there was an inverse relationship with money and character. It was as if the more money people made, the poorer they were in spirit. You know, I feel like money is one aspect of our lives. And I think people have to really think about their relationship with money and understand what they truly, truly need to be happy, not to compete with other people, not to show off just what they need to feel good about themselves. And then make sure that they always know that what has made them successful is inside of them. I feel like we are in a world right now that is so focused on status. We've gotten away from really the being If it's not the first thing people ask, it's the second, what do you do? And I think we need to live in a world, I think the best place to be from a mental health perspective is feeling like you're comfortable with who you are and making sure you're bringing yourself into every aspect of your life. But at the end of the day, it's your choice. So going back to the original question, is the paycheck worth the pain? For me, it wasn't. But people should have a choice. And I think if you do the analysis of what do you really need out of life from a financial situation and what you have to do to get it and have your eyes wide open to the sacrifices you make and feel good about the sacrifices you make, then I think you could have a healthy path. What I worry about are people who get stuck. And then they feel they can't walk away. And if I could leave anything with your listeners, it would be, if you feel stuck, take a step back, do the analysis and make a plan. And the plan doesn't have to be an exit strategy of your job per se. Maybe the plan is just doing some research about how other ways you can apply your skill set in other groups in your firms or in other industries. Just know that the power is yours. The biggest takeaway, I think, from Jamie's powerful money story is that she doesn't want people to do what she did, which was sacrificing who you are in the name of what you do. I hope, if anything, this conversation just inspired you to remember that life is too short to make a paycheck worth the pain. If you want to get in contact with Jamie, you can go to the contact form on her website, which is jamiefiorihiggins.com. She's heard from thousands of people since she wrote this book, and it's resonating with women and men all around the world who have these powerful stories. People are really sitting down to think about what they want from their careers and what they need from their income and feeling empowered to do so without having to lose themselves. You can pick up a copy of her book, Bully Market, everywhere books are sold. 
If you enjoyed this episode, if you were just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this story, share it with a few friends, family members you think also need to hear this powerful story. As always, you can head to the show notes for all the links to our episode guest, as well as the amazing sponsors who make this show possible. I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode. <music>